Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise, a podcast about making radio from the University of Bedfordshire. Hello, I'm Terry Lee. Welcome to the audio-centric audio, which is Fantastic Noise. Big thanks for your time and for your ears. In the UK, over half the population is female, but Ofcom's recent diversity and radio report told us that women are underrepresented at senior levels across radio, with male employees accounting for 62% of senior management and 81% of board-level jobs. Furthermore, in the commercial radio sector, women have only 32% of the programming roles. The role of women in radio is a topic that comes up frequently with our students, well, perhaps 51% of them, at the University of Bedfordshire. So in this episode, we're going to take a brief look at the whopping great topic of what has been and is being done for women in UK radio. Joining me in the studio is Charlotte, a final year media performance student at the university who is just about to embark on a year as a student manager of our radio station, Radio Lab. Charlotte, as a woman, do you get the feeling like your opportunities in the radio industry are limited by your gender? Or do you feel the tide is changing? I do feel that the tide is changing. I mean, obviously looking back over the years... It was a lot worse and I think now the fact that people are doing more to kind of get women in radio, it's helping us a great deal but I do think we still kind of have a long way to go in making sure that opportunities for both men and women are completely equal. Interestingly, I should clarify that as well as doing this work at a university with the radio station, you're actually looking at this moment in time at least at how you can get in the radio industry yourself I am yeah um obviously when I came to the university I didn't know that radio was something that I wanted to do and then being given this opportunity I didn't even think about radio really because obviously because I'm a performance student I was more thinking towards acting and stuff like this and then when the opportunity arose to do radio I realized that it was my true passion I suppose so um, yeah I mean obviously being a final year student as well I've had to start looking in to jobs and opportunities and volunteering work and stuff like that to sort of boost my CV and try and get me into the industries it's not the easiest of industries to get into so yeah I am trying. Coming up in today's podcast we're going to hear from Dr Caroline Mitchell from the University of Sunderland Her research on women in radio since the early 90s makes her a leading academic in this field. She also founded FemFM in 1992. Uh, We'll also hear from Gunan Adamu, a social entrepreneur behind the iWoman Academy, who can also be heard presenting on BBC Radio Merseyside. Later, as always, we'll be analysing some radio jargon with the Radio Word of the Week and making our weekly visit to Dr Laurie Hallett's Radio Surgery. But first, relationship expert Lisa M. Hayes once said, be careful how you are talking to yourself because you are listening. Let's find out what some of you have been listening to recently. What are you listening to? Hi, my name's Julia. I'm in my late 50s. I like listening to Best Smooth Jazz. This is an internet station. I wake up to um, Radio 2 
and also enjoy Sunday love songs on radio too. At work, we have magic playing. Um, I work in a dental practice reception. Hi, my name's Amy Dagger. I'm 38 and I live in Bangalore in India, although I'm from the UK. I like to listen to podcasts when I'm going on my morning walk. I absolutely love American True Crime and my favourite podcast is The Wondery. I really like listening to The Wonderland Murders and also Filthy John. Hi, I'm Danielle. I'm 39. I'm a working mum. For that reason, I'm generally outvoted on listening choice, but at the moment I'm loving audiobooks with my three-year-old little girl. Our favourite, definitely the author Julia Donaldson and her stories Superworm and Scarecrow's Wedding. Crazy, fun little stories with wacky characters and a cool little song you can learn and sing along to. Also reminds me of listening to Mallory Towers through my childhood, which I have really fond memories of. Please do contact us and tell us about something you've been enjoying listening to. I would love to include your voice in a future episode. Fantastic noise at beds.ac.uk. So Charlotte, we heard there from three different listeners. Julia, who likes smooth jazz. Uh, Amy, who listens to crime podcasts on her morning walk in India. Uh, and Danielle, who listens to children's stories uh, with her three-year-olds. Three different examples of, of listening. But, but what are you enjoying listening to at the moment? For me, being 20 years old, I think I listen to what the majority of young adults listen to. So Capital, Kiss... Um, obviously things with upcoming music that it helps me like get to hear all the music and stuff like that and things that I wouldn't necessarily hear because I am I do enjoy music that is one of my main things that's kind of why I I chose to get involved in radio and also um, I have this app that I downloaded it's um, called radio tv and it basically has loads of different radio stations on it and it means that I can be walking I can be well I can be on the train I can be anywhere and I can just click on one of these radio stations and listen in and see what they've got to talk about so that's definitely an app that I use regularly. I always share at least one thing that I'm listening to as well and this time I'm highlighting a a podcast series from the BBC which has been in the headlines recently it's called um, You Me and the Big C. It's Rachel Bland, Deborah James and Lauren Mahon who all suffer from different forms of cancer uh, and they call it the coolest club you never want to be a part of, a candid look at cancer. I'd say it's a must listen to anyone suffering with cancer or if you're close to someone suffering with cancer. There are frank conversations about tumours up bottoms and pain and mental health and dating and much much more I mean it's simple it's powerful it's very very frank Uh, it's in the news at the moment because Rachel Bland recently announced that she's only got days left to live Mm -hmm. her cancer is that bad so it's brave brave honest audio have you have you heard it Charlotte have you heard about it I haven't but I am definitely intrigued to hear it because I think that's what I do like about radio is honesty and I like people saying what's really going on in the world and not trying to cover over like taboo topics as it were so I do really appreciate that and I think I'd definitely give it a listen now great so back to the focus of this episode women and radio Dr Caroline Mitchell is a senior lecturer in radio at the University of Sunderland she's a prominent academic in the field of women in radio broadcasting 
I thought it would be appropriate to ask her why women are so badly represented in UK radio. I've been asking myself that question since about 1991, which I suppose is some indicator of the size of the problem. And um, things have changed since 1991 when I was living and working in Bristol and listening to the airwaves then. It was commercial and BBC radio. It really was as if women were completely invisible uh, on air. There were were very, very few female presenters. It it led me into a, you know, what has become quite a long journey of research into looking at this um, aspect. And actually, it's not true to say that there aren't any women in radio. And because what, what people have found, particularly when they've been doing research into the history of radio, is that actually there have always been many women in radio behind the scenes and they're not the visible ones. They're not the ones we hear. However, you know, they're producers, they're presenters. Um, you know, there, there are people like Hilda Matheson, um, who, you know, was crucial to designing what we now know of as radio news. So there are people who've always, women who've always been behind the scenes and there are women who have been working as producers and managers and also working in areas of radio like sales. The problem is that we haven't known about these women necessarily. uh, And um, this is the case with many histories. It's not just histories of radio. Um, You know, the historians, unfortunately, have often ignored women historically so to start with we need to look at you know what what are women doing in radio and there have always been women in radio doing interesting things as writers producers presenters technicians um, the recent interest for instance in the bbc radiophonic workshop and the work of delia derbyshire and daphne oram and, and things like that so they're always there and actually one of the things that i think has been really interesting over the last so 20 30 years those stories and those uh, the stories of those women are becoming more visible and audible. So that's the first thing to say. However, there does seem to be a particular British problem, and I think it stems originally from sort of daytime DJ radio and and what what we can read from the the stories and the biographies of DJs at the time is that, that men were appointed into those roles that they felt entitled to be in those roles. I think it was David Hamilton who said he was um, seen by the management as a husband substitute for 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 women um, on air. So when you know the men went out to work in the sort of sixties and seventies, Diddy David Hamilton was there on air, and there were many others a bit like him um, to sort of keep you know the woman company now in the home as she did her housework. Mm-hmm. You know it's all those old stereotypes. So. We had that problem, and when I was listening to the radio in Bristol in this in in the early 90s, uh, it it just felt like in commercial radio, but also in mainstream in BBC radio, that um, we really weren't hearing women's voices or hearing things from a woman's perspectives apart from um, an hour a day of women's hour. Being a, a sort of activist as well as an academic, um, what I've tended to do is say, right, what are we going to do about this and what are women going to do about it? And actually, most of my research over the last um, few years has been about women actively doing something about that, whether they are calling management to account, like in the case of sound women, 
or whether they're just saying, well, let's get on air, let's do things, let's make our voice, you know, let, let's prove that women can do anything on air in, in the same way they can do anything in other walks of life. So what has been really interesting for me is is looking at, you know, the, the amazing radio that women have been doing. And uh, I think we're now in a position where, you know, there are women in every aspect of radio doing interesting things. And there's a sort of critical as a critical mass things have changed a bit so uh, I think if you look at you know student radio and community radio and most of the stations now the managements have changed and that they're no longer old-fashioned and they can see that actually on the whole you know um, listeners want to hear a representative um, sample of uh, of themselves they want to hear a reflection of themselves so they want to hear men and women um, on air so, for instance, a few years ago, when Sound Women did research about breakfast presenters, incredibly, there were, I think there was one solo, if, if that, female presenter on breakfast radio on BBC, mm. uh, regional or local radio, which is incredible and, and silly. And now there's been quite a step change in that. And we no longer hear women as a sort of giggle, a sidekick. I, I believe sometimes it's uh, it's called a bounce, where they're there to um, be the sort of foil for the male presenter's ego, and the male presenter is, is the main one and as a sidekick. I'm not saying that that, per, that, that doesn't do this. It does, it does. But in BBC Breakfast Radio, we get much more equal partnerships um, on air. I think a lot of those old myths that, um, you know, that, that were trundled out by programme directors, programme controllers, that people don't want to listen to women, which is totally sexist and based in, in on really, really, really old ideas that women's voices weren't important, what they said wasn't important. I mean, this goes back to way before radio. I mean, if you look at the work of Mary... Baird, for instance, you know, it's all about women voice having a voice in the public sphere. So um, there was a lot of that going on when I went first went into radio uh, and when I was doing hospital radio and I, I, I you know, encountered a lot of sexism, uh, silly sex, really, really silly sexism about, um, I think I put in the, one of my books, you know, I was suggested that women weren't allowed to edit <laughs> because they might get their long hair tangled up in the tape spools and that's how long ago it was really? it wasn't digital editing it was tape spools and they might cut you know what they might hurt they might put their fingernails their long fingernails into a whirling tape spool and hurt, hurt themselves mm. now um you know we're, we're we've gone beyond those ridiculous things but unfortunately some of the guys and it was mainly guys who were managed you know were in those early days of radio and had a lot of the technicians i'm afraid had these kind of old-fashioned ideas about where women should be and that was not in the studio um those some of those guys went into management and those guys were running commercial stations bbc departments and and so on and it's taken an awful long time to work through those people and to get people with more enlightened views there so and we have you know unfortunately i think in any very large organisation like the BBC, it's very imp- it's very possible to entrench deeply, deeply held cultural views mm. about what women can do and what they can't. Well, and, and on that point, Caroline, sorry to interrupt. Obviously, this year and and the previous year, there there has been a lot of talk about the BBC and the the gender imbalance in terms of in terms of pay. Do you think that's essentially down to the the deep rooted, I guess, sexism from UK radio? <laughs> 
you know, this is the latest sort of scandal, really. This is the latest aspect. I mean, uh, you know, as I said, every few years, something incredible is revealed. Now, I think what is interesting about that, and I think it is the same in some other industries, is that women haven't felt able to speak up about this. And it took quite a bit of, it took a bra- you know, brave woman, Carrie Gracie, if you, to, to speak up. And then I think a number of senior women said, we, enough is enough, we're now going to speak up. But I think it, it, it is indicative of the sort of culture of silence, I suppose, in the BBC about pay. People held on to the information about what they were paid. And I think that was encouraged Um, Rather than revealing it, there was not an open system. And that meant that for many, many years, even though I know that many women knew that they were being paid less, they were were worried about their jobs and they were worried about speaking up about. uh, And so I think the culture, you know, a fairly toxic culture. And we know there are other things happening, you know, that have been happening at the BBC that, again, have been revealed around um, sexism and, and abuse. That kind of culture was bad for women um, and and other and other minorities. Um, and I think um, we're gradually breaking through that. But we know that in many large organisations, BBC, government, church, you know, you name them, these kind of things, sometimes it takes a long time to flush them out. And there is a, the BBC is a very big organisation and it has kept many things to itself. I think that one of the important good things about um, revealing, you know, the gender pay, pay gap um, is that that culture of silence um, cannot, you know, it, it, it's more difficult for that to exist. And so I think the public are beginning to be more aware of how ridiculous it is that certain people are paid more um, than others for doing a similar job. Just going back Caroline, you, you mentioned being in Bristol in 1991. Yes. I, I believe it was in um, 1992 when you were one of the co-founders of Femme FM. Could you tell us a little bit more about Femme FM and, and what happened there? I was working in Bristol in radio. I was involved in um, RSLs then, Restricted Service Licences, doing um, those with a number of different people, any chance really to, you know, to, to test out ideas about community radio. And um, I was also um, involved in um, one of the test licenses for community radio, but generally feeling that that um, radio was very male-dominated. Don- and I um, was working with Trish Cavalli, who was my, my co-sister in radio, if you like, and we had an idea. Uh, in fact, it was on International Women's Day one year, which also happens to be my birthday. And we were just moaning, actually, about how radio was not of interest to us in terms of what we were hearing. And one of us, I can't, we can't remember who it was, said, well, what about setting up a women's radio station? And very quickly through our networks, um, we put together an application to do an RSL, a short-term station. Very quickly, uh, we found that a a lot of people involved in our various networks, education, arts, music, media, um, community work, youth work, were interested in the same thing. Um, And to cut a long story short, we, we worked and fundraised for a year and then went on air, and it, it as it happened, it was the first women's radio station in the UK. Not not in the world, there were there were others in, in the world. So it caught the imagination. We actually um, basically involved women 
in the um, commercial sector and in the BBC. And every it really, really did um, attract people and, and it, 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 everyone's imagination about what a women's radio station would sound like, well, you know, more than an hour a day of women's hour, what it would sound like to have a station from a women's perspective. We put out the message, so we wanted really to disprove one of the old adages, which was um, that that programme controllers would say, and I still hear this from time to time, is women just don't apply. That that one, we don't get enough applications from women, you know, i.e. blaming the women for not having enough women on air. And so we put, we ran a competition, I think, in, um, in conjunction with GWR, and uh, which was the commercial station in Bristol at the time, to, to say, you know, women from uh, Bristol, but actually we, we also went wider. If you want a spot on FMFM, just contact us. And we were, we were overwhelmed. We had loads and loads of women who were, you know, desperate to get on air. There were 200 women volunteers involved. And it was, you know, it sounded great. It was great fun to be involved. We got a lot of interest from outside the UK. We were on Sky News. We were on the Radio 4 Evening News on mm. the March the 8th, 1992. <laughs> um, you know, it was great. And it sort of was a bit of a landmark in anyone, you know, wanting to think about women in radio. You know, we did virtually everything um, to get that station on air. And it sounded great. Mm. It really did sound. We had fantastic commercial producers um, who made our jingles. We had a lot of local musicians who did, you know, s- sung some of the jingles. We had lots of competition prizes. Uh, we, you know, we we just involved everyone, really. Yeah, well, absolutely. And then, of course, several years later, um, there was an organisation, you've already mentioned them, Sound Women. What happened with, with Sound Women? How did that come about? And, and, and what happened to it? Okay, well, Sound Women um, started, it was very much um, a response to the Sony Awards, actually. Um, I think for several years, it became obvious that women were not being put up for awards, were not getting awards, and were not on the judging panel for awards. Mm. And I think there was one year where there was a complete raft of males being, you know, uh, nominated. And the women in the, in the industry, and this was mainly women at the BBC, actually, and in commercial radio in London. It was very London-oriented. They basically said it was another one of these enough is enough moments. They said enough is enough. Um, we, we need to shout out, you know, we need to promote ourselves more. We need to, you know, do something about this um, as ever. You know, it's women taking it on and doing something about it. And um, they set out a sort of plan for about five years um, to shake up the industry, to basically look at a whole range of areas, um, including pay, including training, including mentoring, including um, promotion of um, key women. So it was a very high profile thing. Um, And um, I got involved only in the last, couple of years because I was actually worried that community radio was not really represented enough in that because of course community radio is such a training ground for women Mm. so over the uh, five or six years that they were going they got a lot of support from the industry uh, in terms of you know they the industry thought it was a good thing because obviously it was letting many people in the industry off the hook to sort of have have a body promoting uh, women in radio and trying to change certain things. They did research as well to um, just indicate the metrics behind the lack of representation, because often you need these statistics to say, 
you know, there are only X number of women on air at a certain time in certain stations and certain sectors. So they did a lot of work, but they, they actually got very little core funding to continue that work. Okay. The BBC would say, yes, we want to, you know, we want to change these, but they didn't put any money behind sound women. So the, the long and the short of it is after five years, the people who founded it were exhausted by putting so much time in free uh, when they were trying also to develop their careers. And although actually it was a very successful organisation, had some very high profile um, people as role models, you know, Annie Nightingale and Jane Garvey and so on, actually it was running on, on nothing. It, yeah. it was running on goodwill of people who were also trying to, you know, get on in their careers. It was decided rather than sort of for it to peter out that it would finish and it, it would be celebrated what it had done. Interestingly, fairly soon after that was when the um, gender pay gap story broke. And I think that's partly because of the confidence that uh, an organisation like Sound Women had, you know, the confidence that it had given women to actually say enough is enough. I have to say it also set up an extremely good uh, sort of network uh, online, and which I'm still a part of. And there are hundreds of women that are part of, of, of the network. Um, there's a Facebook group mm. called the Sound Women Network. That is where a lot of jobs go. You know, it's a, it's still a very active and useful network to the women in the industry and some men who are supporting, you know, supportive of the aims. It's good to know there's a legacy with that Facebook group and, and some of the uh, actions that have happened since. Earlier, you mentioned BBC uh, Radio 4's Women's Hour show. I wonder, Caroline, do you think programmes like Women's Hour help in in giving women a a national radio platform or do they just highlight the fact that there's a need for a program like that in the first place in broadcast media yeah it's an it's an interesting one women's hour isn't it i mean of course it was a very you know it's been going for over 60 years um women's hour was first presented by a man Mm -hmm. the bbc put it in the safe hands of a man to start with uh that didn't last very long there have been points in its long history where the BBC management has said, do we really need Women's Hour? You know, do we really need this? Surely we don't. And it has moved around the schedule. Um, it was in the afternoon. Um, it's moved into a, a better slot in the, in the morning. And at each point where it was, they tried to do something with it, there was such a furore from the audience, which of course has 40% men listening, mm. at least 40%, because men like Women's Hour, as well they like to hear from women about women and a woman's perspective on a range of things so it's an important hour it's there it's always there there have been lots of criticisms about it over the years um that it's too middle class it's too white it's too old you know it's it has the same audience as the you know the the radio 4 demographic which is getting older and older My feeling is that uh, I was listening to it this morning, actually. It really does try to have a good mix of of, um, features. I think it's an incredible programme in many ways. But I'm very aware of barriers, if you like, to listening, you know, uh, for for younger people. It's really tried to change and, and make itself more available to people, more accessible and have younger, some younger reporters and things like that. So I think now, if you look at the Radio 4 schedule, there are so many female voices 
in news and features, plays, um, so many perspectives, particularly in this of documentaries, that you might question whether it should still exist, but I think it's still at the edge of a lot of different debates. So I think it leads on debates. I think it's a very useful space. I don't see why it shouldn't happen. Caroline, what are you listening to at the moment? Are there any presenters or radio stations or programmes that you're really enjoying at the moment? Okay, well, I'm a long-term listener to The Archers, so we'll get that out of the way. I still <laughs> listen to The Archers, and uh, the storyline has sort of kept up with my life. My daughter's just had her A-level results, and there are two characters in The Archers who have as well. So that's really, yeah, that's interesting. So that is my one of my sort of stalwarts. But uh, what else am I listening to? Um, I love Radio 6 music. I am quite, I, I surf around. What has changed things for me recently, and this is where I can plug some of my research, mm. is something called Radio Garden, um, radio.garden. Now, that was um, the sort of end result of a three-year research project called Transnational Radio Encounters. And when I have time, uh, I have Radio Garden on my desktop, on my laptop, and I just surf. I just go around the world and I listen to radio in different countries at different times. That is what keeps me away from podcasts, actually, uh, is is really surfing around and, and um, using Radio Garden to listen. I, I spend quite a lot of time in Australian radio in the States. I listen to quite a lot of stations there, particularly news around Trump's policies and mm-hmm. things like that. I absolutely love you know finding gems of music programs from obscure stations, you know, in the middle of Russia or the Seychelles or Jamaica or something like that. It's really brought back my, you know, my very early, you know, I'm so old that um, when I started listening um, to radio, I I listened on a tiny, tiny transistor radio, one of the very first ones, a really small one. And I would just love tuning in and and listening to um, the radio there. And now I tune in with Radio Garden. Dr Caroline Mitchell, she's so knowledgeable about the history and the present of women in radio. Uh, Charlotte, one thing that Caroline mentioned was that in history, male presenters were seen as husband substitutes for women at home listening. I think things have developed somewhat, but do you think there are still too many female sidekicks on radio? I do. I think women aren't being given um, a fair enough chance to actually be completely in control for some reason. I feel like people think it's a better it's better if uh, oh they they are on the radio but they're not completely in charge of what's going on. Um, and I do think that's a bit unfair because sometimes women's programs can be really enjoyable and mm. really exciting. And I do think that women do need a chance to not be the sidekick anymore and start showing that they are just as talented as men. Yes, and well, absolutely. Uh, there have been so much work on this, but as Caroline alludes to, it's a, a long, slow yeah. journey involved. She, she talked about people in, in history in her past, uh, not that not that long ago, talking about how women can't do editing because their hair gets tangled up <laughs> in tape spools and things um. like that. And and there are institutions where there will still be staff there who, who think that women's voices are less important, just like yeah. an institutional old-fashioned view. Listeners now want a representative sample, is what 
Caroline says. How how do we get more women interested in being on the radio? I think, like I said earlier, I think radio isn't really um, well known. It's not one of the things that people necessarily think about. It's more, um, well, obviously for me, it's when I got to uni and I got given the opportunity that I suddenly realised that it was such a, a, a big deal and it was actually really fun and I think it just needs to be advertised more and be made clear that it's not just people that, like celebrities that you don't really know you just hear like if you're driving in your car or something like that it is a job that you can get yourself and I think that is the main issue is the fact that people don't realize that it's a job it's like oh it's for celebrities it can't be for me I can't do that so it's just sort of opening up that dream for them I suppose and proving to people that anyone can be on the radio. One obvious uh, example of a a program mainstream radio aimed primarily at women is Women's Hour on Radio 4 and what was interesting talking to Caroline is (laughs) she's saying about how they're trying to make it open it up for for (laughs) wider audiences because generally the audience of Radio 4 is is an older audience quite you know older intelligent maybe better off yeah uh, and young people aren't necessarily tuning into women's hour despite the fact that they're trying to create content for Mm. younger female listeners is it a program which you've engaged with um honestly no but i do think now that it's been made aware to me i will definitely go and listen to it i think that is the main issue is i think these things need to be advertised more and shown to people and i think the more it's advertised and the more that it's made out to look like really fun more people are going to want to pursue that and I do think especially with Women's Hour it will persuade women to also get involved with stuff like that as well yeah Uh, fascinating to hear that when Women's Hour first started it was presented by a man I know (laughs) (laughs) of course the saying that I'm I'm presenting a podcast about women in radio I'm aware I'm aware that that's not the most comfortable fit one thing that um, definitely stood out for me was when Caroline set up Femme FM in 1992. Um, I think it's really, it was quite empowering actually, the fact that she went out, she didn't get any sort of money herself, she had to work, she fundraised like with everyone else she was setting it up with and it was a radio station purely for women and I think for me that's really empowering in the sense of like, showing men that they can do it all themselves and they can have radio stations but they can also run the radio station and they can have their own shows and also she said something about like women don't just don't apply um for the jobs and I think that's ridiculous because obviously she said that 200 women went and they applied for these jobs so it just proves that women are applying and they're just not being let in and obviously they were let into this radio station and it shows 200 women applied. So mm. it's just proving that women do want to be involved in radio and it's just hard for them to actually get involved in such a male-dominated... Yeah, industry. Yeah. Generally. And, and I'll tell you, what, what it always gets me, the same. you get the same people making the similar arguments when you have International Women's Day and it's yeah. like, what about International <laughs> Men's Day? Which apparently does exist but is not so well talked about. But, but the, the point, that's missing the point. Yeah. Because in order for, I guess, getting women a fairer representation in the UK mm. radio industry, what, what projects like Femme FM did, and still to an extent do, yeah. um, is... is just to help give women 
experiences and and confidence yeah and hopefully train up skills and and, and things which will mean that in the near future we will have more parity gender yeah. parity uh, which <laughs> is it, so important to i guess represent what, what the public is what we are as a, yeah. as a country that's what you want to hear on the radio I yeah thought. definitely Gunan Adamu is a BBC broadcaster and a social entrepreneur behind the iWoman Academy, set up to empower and upskill participants using radio production techniques as a well-being tool to better enable women to gain employment, return to education and or set up their own businesses. So before we hear Gunan, here's a clip from one of the iWoman Academy podcasts that you can find on the website iwoman.co. UK. I am an asylum seeker. Asylum seeker is, is not a refugee as yet, it's someone who runs into the UK, this, to be specific, looking for help or protection. And then if the UK government accepts protect you, that's when you become a refugee. So it's kind of like you live in limbo, you can't work, you can't have life, you literally can't do anything for yourself you just have to sit there and wait my name is Gunan Adamu and I'm a producer presenter at BBC Radio Merseyside and I'm also a social entrepreneur so have a women's organization called iWoman Gunan, as a BBC broadcaster and I see a qualified teacher, uh, you're uniquely positioned to impart your knowledge of broadcasting. But can you tell us a little bit more about iWoman and, and the iWoman Academy? Yes, so I set up iWoman, goodness, it must have been, well, I had the idea for iWoman about four years ago. And at the time I was working for BBC Outreach. I just I wanted something that was using the skills that I already had but to support women's place back into employment or education, but using radio as a well-being tool. And funny enough, what came first, I think, was to have a radio station, a women's radio station. So I was looking into that a lot more and I found out through a UN research that only one of five voices on air was a female voice and I just thought that is ridiculous mm. how can we be say for example 51% of the population and yet there's only one in five voices on on radio or, or on tv so that was kind of my pursuit and then I thought all right I need to train women up because not every woman is going to be comfortable on radio or comfortable in the industry and they always find it quite some people find it quite hard because of the technology side of things there was loads of different elements to how and why I set up I woman and then literally from there I thought all right in the training side of things then from the training I was like I need to support women and um, but they have to be unemployed and then yeah and then it kind of built itself really I'd definitely say it's been a crazy journey because when I when I had the idea for iWoman, I didn't even have a name. Hmm. I just knew what I wanted to, to achieve. And lucky for me, I was able to speak to people about being a social entrepreneur. But the funny thing is I didn't even know there was such a thing as a social entrepreneur. All I wanted to do was set up this this venture. Because I wanted to include education, I then decided to go back to uni um, and do a PGCE, but in further education and training. And the funny thing is, 
I remember sitting at my desk and this little voice saying to me, you need to go to university. And I was like, university? And it's there. And I was like, where am I going to go? And this little voice was like, Edge Hill. And I was like, Edge Hill? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and I was like, what am I going to do? And I said, um, PGCA. And I was like, PGCA? So I was just talking to this little voice in my head. <laughs> and I applied for Edge Hill because I had got a third class degree in my journalism. They knocked me back straight away. So I then emailed the admissions officer and said, look, I, I totally understand um, you only take second two, two ones and above or whatever. But with my third class degree, this is what I've managed to achieve in seven years. So he then replied and said, all right, then come for the interview. And if you're successful in the interview, you can get on the course. And obviously I was successful and I managed to get into Edgefield University and do my PGCE. And then the next step then was to look at how to set up iWoman. So I applied to the School of Social Entrepreneurs. So with that, it's all about supporting entrepreneurs. So you get trained to start your own business, talk about business models, um, and you also get a grant as well. So it's like Dragon's Den. <laughs> so I applied to that and again, I didn't get on it. So I didn't get on it, but you get feedback. So I was able to get feedback from it. And I thought, yeah, totally get it. They're right. It needs to be more focused because for anyone who's ever had an idea, it's always all over the place and you need someone to bounce ideas off. And because nobody has set anything like this up before, it was hard for me to bounce ideas off anyone. And then a week before it was meant to start, I got a call from one of the learning managers and she said, somebody has dropped out and you were first on our reserve list. And I was like, you are kidding me. <laughs> I said, I know it's short notice, but, you know, the place is there if you want it. And I was like, damn right. <laughs> so it feels like everything it was meant to be. And literally got on the course. It's a, it's a one-year course. Um, you attend once every six weeks. And literally it was the best thing I'd ever done because I met people who were able to support what I was trying to achieve, really. And through the SSA, that's when I Woman was more or less born because it helped me structure structure the you know the, the the way the course should run, look at different types of business models. And and so that that whole journey started about four years ago, you say. Um, where yeah. where so where is where where is I Woman now? What what's happening? And and how can people find out more? So the actual I Woman Academy is two years old. Mm. We we based that fact. Um, which is uh, it's, it's an arty like an arty tech digital place in in Liverpool. So the course is a twelve week course. It's two days a week. We take on twelve to fourteen women, and the way it works out is you have a informal assessment, which is a music show. So it's encouraging women to have positive research skills and communication skills because mm. some of these women who have come through have. Um, either been unemployed for so long that they've lost their confidence or some of them have been carers like elderly parents or children who have been they've had severe disabilities and have passed away or they're empty nesters so the kids have gone to uni and, and, and they haven't got um, the, the struggling just to get back into society so the informal assessment is all about encouraging them just to take that next step really and mm. find their voice and use research skills to look at musicians and music genres. So they do all of them and they present the music show themselves. 
and then the formal assessment is um you have to do a health piece so anything um, anything that affects women's health it could be breast cancer ovarian cancer osteoporosis early menopause like literally anything and everything um and the reason why i get them to do that is because i've realized that women you know we don't talk about our health enough with that we also you know went on google's and ailments automatically you're going to die so mm. <laughs> it's getting them to look at health in a different way so we're based there and the i just launched the website the i woman website last week so that's iwoman.co.uk and on there you'll see pictures of the women who've gone through you'll see videos there's also um the interviews that the women have recorded themselves and have edited as well so it's all on there and you'll see this i woman media i woman radio and i woman academy So it's got like a student portal. So anyone who's on the course has access to the student portal. So they can upload work, they can download stuff, and they can see what's being taught every week. So it's really, um, yeah, a lot of thought and effort has gone into the website. So that made me even worse because I already suffer from depression, anxiety, panic attacks. So I couldn't sleep and... I couldn't get other jobs because they were writing reference saying that I got dismissed. Grinan, is there any evidence of of success from all this hard work you've been putting into to iWoman in terms of an example case study or or even hard cold data? Well, one of the things that we're going to do this year is to go back and, and interview the ladies who have been through the course. So a lot of the women have either gone back into education, actually have have gone back into employment or they, they've decided, yes, yeah, so volunteering, education or employment. So they've done really well in, in, in actually gaining employment. So so we want to try and capture that in, in evaluation. Because mm. one of the things I was conscious of doing was I didn't want to waste anyone's time. So I wanted to be able to give them the confidence to decide, well, if I can't gain employment, I'll try volunteering. So we've got we've got quite a few women who um, have got jobs now. One of the ladies started teaching at a university um, so wow. got, we've got some good case studies of women who are doing some fantastic stuff off the back of being on the course. Because one of the things that wants to do was not build a course that was very, how can I put it? I didn't want it to seem like they were back in school or back in, in education. Sure. So it was, it was really flexible. And one of the things that we, we do in the mornings when the ladies come in is actually talk about their weekend or if they've had any issues that weekend or the days that I haven't seen them, we more or less just let them pour it all out before we start the course. I think that helped that kind of, you know, having a listening ear. I'm a very positive person. So I think that kind of kind of rubbed off on the ladies as well. But we are looking at capturing the case studies because they've done really well. But also one of the things that I've done is also get an evaluator. So for, I think it's two or three of the courses we've had evaluations and we use that feedback for the next course. So we've had an evaluation from the last course and we've more or less implemented a lot of the things that the evaluator said or mentioned in, in the evaluation for this course. So yeah, so we are, we're going to try and catch the ladies' journeys and hopefully showcase what iWoman has done for them. 
that sounds fantastic. And and it's a great example, I woman, of of the power of radio in improving employability and and I guess all those what we call soft skills like communication yeah. and confidence and things like that, which which may be needed improving in these examples. Can I just move on to questions about I guess the radio industry in in general because. In a media landscape where the Me Too movement has been a growing influence and the BBC gender imbalance with pay has been exposed, what does the future look like for women in radio? It's I think with with digital and podcasting, it's a lot stronger than what it used to be. Mm. Because what's happened now is, which a lot of communities have done in the past, especially like the African Caribbean communities and, and the Asian communities, is that if you're not going to give us the opportunities, we'll create our own opportunity. And I think that's what's happening with um, with Radio for Women and, and especially with the podcast movement is that women are saying, well, if you don't want to hear our voices, we'll create our own platform for other people to take, to take notes. And I think that's actually worked because with anything, once the likes of the BBC or say Capital or whoever hears these voices, they don't want to be part of it, mm. you know. And I think the nice thing is when you do have a podcast, is that it's international as well. So you've got you've got the opportunity to reach as many people as you can with with your podcast or with your radio station. So I think it's actually made women have a stronger voice and opinions and tackling issues that affect them. But one of the things that I was cautious of when I was setting up iWoman was that I did not want it to be political. Mm. I wanted to show there was a fun side. So even if, even though um, having an all-women's radio station or an all-women's project is very political and very feminist, <laughs> in a way, I, just, I, wanted, I still wanted it to be fun. For the women, and that's why I included the music show because it's not all about doom and gloom and fighting. All it's not all about being in your face kind of fighting. It's that subtle fighting for equality in different ways that just sucks people in. So I definitely think that radio um, is doing big things. When I first started doing my research, and I was looking for women's radio stations. Um, all over the world, I found that the UK, I think, had one. Right. I think, because um, I, I emailed the UN. They sent me a list of the of the stations that they had. And the majority of them actually came from Africa and, like, French-speaking Africa. So you kind of go, well, you have places like America and the UK who are talking so much about women having equality. Yeah. They don't have women's radio stations or kind of female voices on air. Um, so it looks like women are doing more things in these countries outside of the Western world than than the Western world themselves. Yeah, it really made me look at things a lot differently. But hopefully through podcasting, I think women in the UK, you know, will will do some fantastic stuff. We're still we're still new to the podcasting movement in the in the UK so I think there's that kind of complacency of do we need it is anyone going to listen or do we how do we start it Mm. and how do we get people to listen so we're not we're not I don't think we're there yet but we are slowly getting there fascinating stuff 
Yunan. Uh, just before you go, I was hoping you might be able to share with us something that uh, you're enjoying listening to at the moment. We're, we're talking program or a presenter or a radio station or, or a podcast. You were talking about podcasts. Are there any um, particular recommendations that you might share with our, our listeners? You know what? I'm quite cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Oprah. So Oprah has this super soul podcast where she speaks to different um say theorists and spiritualists and things like that about goals and life and personal journeys and I love listening to it. It, it. it more it more or less reinforces what I do anyway. But it just feels nice when I'm hearing Oprah talk about it with someone. Um so this here is Deepak Chopra as well. So I'm a big believer in like positive energy and the laws of attraction and things like that. So that's my that's my podcast recommendation. Gudan Adamu, an inspiration in many ways, talking to me not just about iWoman, but the radio landscape for women generally. So Charlotte, how do you feel about the use of radio skills to improve the well-being of disadvantaged women? I think um, it definitely will help people, I suppose, gain confidence and um, learn how to work within a team, because I think that is one thing in radio is obviously you might hear one or two voices but obviously you don't see behind the scenes and I think training people up to be able to speak out and say how they feel within a public sphere I suppose it it does give people the confidence to feel like they do have a voice and their voice can be heard so I think that is very important for obviously training people up to believe in themselves I suppose. I mean the the drive from Ganan to to get to this stage with with i woman to, to get the qualifications and, yeah. and all the knockbacks that she had to overcome i, I thought, thought she was quite an inspiring yeah. story in that, in that way she was obviously quite driven to to get this project off the ground yeah I, like she from everything that she went through obviously in going to university and going back to university getting her pgce and doing all of that i think it proves how driven she actually was in trying to see her dream and i feel like that's obviously shows that women in radio can be very empowering as well so it's it's nice to know we do have a few people out there who are trying to make a difference absolutely Uh, one thing that that jumped out that she said from from the chat we had was that radio should be a fun experience and although this is a, a project about improving well-being helping people return to education and set up businesses and things like ultimately when you look at it it's about these people having fun yeah and and i guess the skills that they pick up come as a result of their being relaxed enough to to enjoy what they're doing definitely yeah i do think obviously radio is very fun and i don't think we'd be doing it if it wasn't Mm. and that will also give people confidence in the way of they don't feel under pressure they don't feel like they're being pressurized into doing things obviously it's just it's it's just having a chat really isn't it at the end of the day it's it's nice that people can just sit there and feel confident enough to talk about issues and stuff like that and obviously gain the confidence in them like whilst they're doing it one one topic of conversation that we briefly touched upon was the pay gap 
for women in in the BBC yes. that's been published in the last couple of years. Just generally, how does how does that make you feel as a woman? Because it's hard for me as as a man. <laughs> I have a viewpoint, although I I get angry about it. I'm, mm. I, you know, I've, I've got a wife, I've got a daughter, yeah. and I feel sort of angst that there is this in inequality. Mm. But as a as a young woman looking to get into radio and seeing how there are people doing very similar jobs who are male that get paid more mm. than women doing the same jobs. How does that make you feel? Um, not great. <laughs> um, obviously, it's been an issue in every job, I think. And I think every woman will agree with me in saying I don't understand why men seem to think they're more qualified than women. And obviously, I don't understand what they've done to have proven that they think they are and I think the only issue is and the reason obviously why people haven't spoken out is and like people have said is purely because people are scared to lose their jobs obviously it's like I said before it's such a hard industry to get into and when you're finally in there and you're you might not be making as much money as the men but you're making money and you're doing what you love I think a lot of people will be scared to speak up because then they're going to lose their dream job they're going to lose everything that they've sort of worked for like at uni or wherever they started that's the saddest part is the fact that people feel pressured in they feeling that they can't stand up purely because they don't want to lose their job and they don't want to lose the dream that they've worked so hard to get mm, i think that's a really good point um, by being a lone voice yeah a lone woman speaking out that's that does put you at risk possibly whereas if you can be part of an organization yeah. or, or a group that maybe feels a bit more comfortable and and the fact that the bbc are at least publishing this information yeah. about how much people are getting paid at least helps uh, i guess apply the pressure yeah. to make a change a positive change yeah. in the future gets the ball rolling finally if you want to contact us here at Fantastic Noise, I'm always keen to make this podcast as interactive as possible, so do get in touch. I've received some messages and feedback recently, so here are a couple of mentions. Uh, hello and congratulations to Chris Ross, who was on episode one about radio presenting. Chris has just started a job at the new Capital Station in Brighton at the weekend, so that's great. Did you ever come across Chris? Yeah. Chris is like... He's a really good friend of mine. I yeah. was so jealous when he got that job. <laughs> yeah, brilliant, brilliant news. We're really happy for him. Yeah. Um, hello to Jack Hogan, who contacted us regarding the episode on diversity, specifically how community radio can help. Uh, so Jack will be recording an episode very soon from the Community Media Conference and the Community Radio Awards in Sheffield. So keep subscribed, and it's going to pop into your smartphone or however you get your podcasts, probably on the 25th of September. Uh, Philippa Sawyer, thank you so much for your retweets and shares on Twitter and Facebook and your marvellous ongoing support. Great that you're getting in contact so often sharing our stuff. And hello to Gemma who emailed. Uh, Gemma, I made these podcasts over the summer as I don't have teaching to contend with then, but I suspect there may be some term time bonus episodes coming soon too. If you want to get in touch, be it with stories, suggestions for future podcasts, feedback or something else, here are the contact details. Contact us. Email. Fantasticnoise at beds.ac.uk Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash a fantastic noise. Instagram and Twitter. At a fantastic noise. 
fantastic noise. Now, they say the best doctors are the ones you run to and can't find. But fortunately, for you fine folk, we know exactly where to locate one. It's time for Dr Laurie's radio surgery. I'm Dr Laurie Hallett, Senior Lecturer in Radio and Journalism at the University of Bedfordshire. The term vox pop comes from the Latin voice of the people. Vox pops can be really useful as part of features and news reports, but getting them isn't always easy. You need to develop a thick skin because lots of people will say no or walk straight past and ignore you. If you smile and look friendly, not only are passers-by more likely to speak to you, but you'll also be creating a good impression of your radio station too. That's Dr Laurie Hallett, possibly known by some as Mr Radio. Possibly, but probably not. Um, Anyway, Charlotte, Laurie is talking about Vox Pops. Have you ever had to record Vox Pops? I haven't actually. Oh. I know. Well, there you go. That's something to work <laughs> on. <laughs> that can be something that we could do Re- next remedy, year. Remedy, yes. Yes, definitely. Okay. Well, you know now, having listened to Laurie, it's important to smile and accept. <laughs> except people aren't always going to talk to you, but I'm sure you'll be fine getting people to chat to you. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm. I just smile at them, and hopefully they'll just talk to me. We'll see. <laughs> uh, before we go, it's time for the radio word of the week. Radio Word of the Week. Fantastic noise! A podcast about making radio. This time, it's logging. And no, we're not talking about something that might occur in a woodland area. All stations in the UK are required by Ofcom to record their output. Uh, This recording is called logging and can be recorded onto tapes or stored on digital hard disks. It's always worth checking your logger works on a regular basis. That was one of my jobs when I worked at Future Radio in Norwich. Uh, Once I did a 27-hour long broadcast for charity, uh, but later found out that the logger crashed three hours into it. I wasn't around to check the logger had crashed, so there's no recording of my tired ramblings from 4am, 21 hours in. (laughs) So uh, it's it's important you make sure the logger works, and it's in fact a legal requirement as well, most importantly. We'll keep that in mind. Had you come across the term logger or logging? No, I feel like I've got a lot to learn still. Well, there's so much radio (laughs) jargon. The main thing you need to know is that you... As a radio station that's broadcasting, as Ofcom licensed, you need to have recordings of your output. Okay. And we have systems here, <laughs> say at Radio Lab at the university, to automatically do that. Perfect. As long as the systems work, <laughs> we're okay. That is it for this episode of Fantastic Noise. Thanks so much for joining us. There will be another episode next week. Do follow us on social media at A Fantastic Noise for updates and previews. Thanks to our guests today, Dr. Caroline Mitchell and Gunan. Adamu. Special thanks to my co-host Charlotte Powers. Thank you very much for having me. Our artwork was produced by Stu Elvin, Stu with a double O. Our announcements were from Freya McCann and our theme music is by Liam Ayton. This podcast was produced by me for the University of Bedfordshire's radio team and recorded in the studios of Radiolab 97.1 FM. I'm Terry Lee and this, I hope you'll agree, has been a fantastic noise. <laughs>